let me open with this question. If I asked you, what's the greatest fight in history? What comes to your mind? What's the greatest fight in history? Maybe some of you are thinking about fights between countries. There have been a lot of countries who have had fights for decades, for centuries. They just can't get along. There have been countries that have been at war. Maybe you're thinking about a fight being a war. There have been a lot of wars in, on this earth and, and countries that don't get along and, and people that fight all the time. Maybe when I say what's the greatest fight in history, you're thinking of some fight that maybe your family had today, maybe your parents have had, maybe some family fight that maybe scarred you. Maybe, maybe that's what you're thinking of. What's the greatest fight in history? Maybe you're thinking about politics. Maybe you're thinking about the next election. Maybe you're thinking about the fight between the Democrats and the Republicans. Those are some good fights that can happen. Or maybe you're thinking about sports, some of the great sports rivalries. Some teams would rather fight than even participate on the, in the athletic arena. The, those fights are so strong. What's the greatest fight in history? Maybe you're thinking of boxing. I've talked to you before about the greatest fight ever, the Thrilla in Manila, between the greatest, Muhammad Ali and Smokin' Joe Frazier. If you watch that fight, if you watch boxing, maybe that's what you're thinking of when I say what's the greatest fight in history. What if I told you today that the greatest fight in history is a fight that Jesus picked? We're in a study of the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're, we're several weeks into that. If you're not familiar with the Gospel of Mark, if you open to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the four Gospels. They tell the story about Jesus Christ. Mark would say the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. So he's going to tell us about some good news. Today, I want to talk about a time that Jesus picked a fight. Let's read. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So let me explain some things. I highlighted Sabbath because that's the fight. The fight is this happened on the Sabbath. What we're about to read about, in fact, we're going to read about two Sabbath Sabbath events, or depending on whether you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, maybe they happened on the same day, maybe they were the same Sabbath, but the point is the fight is about the Sabbath. And the religious police are watching, the Pharisees, the strict Jews, the religious police are watching because they haven't quite figured Jesus out yet. They haven't quite figured out who this guy is. They haven't quite figured out his claims. And so they're watching Jesus and they're watching his disciples. They're watching his every move. And Jesus could just keep walking. I mean, he doesn't have to respond. He doesn't have to engage. It takes two people to be involved in a fight. Jesus could just walk away. But Jesus is about to pick a fight. And the fight is because his disciples pick some heads of grain on the Sabbath, and the religious police said, you broke the law. Now, you need to understand, they didn't break nothing. They didn't break any law. They broke a tradition of the religious police. Don't you think if they would have broken one of God's laws, that Jesus would have said, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. 
Don't you think that the God who is in their presence would have said, whoa, whoa, you guys, you can't do that. They didn't break any law. But they did break a tradition. Now, here's the deal. If you go back to the Ten Commandments, God said on the Sabbath, here's what I want you to do. Don't work and rest. It's pretty simple. That's what God said. Don't work, rest. I created a day for you so that it wouldn't be a burden, it would be a blessing. Don't work, rest. But the religious police came along and said, you know what, God, you, we, we really need to define that a little better. We really need to put up some parameters. We really need to uh, make this a whole lot more complicated. And so they developed thousands of traditions, not law, traditions. That, that would explain what you couldn't, couldn't, could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. God said, don't work, rest. And the religious police came along and said, okay, you can and you can and you can and you can't 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 and you can't. So much so that people didn't know what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Thousands of rules and regulations, thousands of petty rules and regulations, some of which was what the disciples just did. You can't do what they just did according to tradition. Not God's law, tradition. They broke the traditions of the religious police. They were lawbreakers. Again, the religious police took the law of God and they expanded it. God, you obviously need our help because you didn't define this very well. And they came up with all of these traditions. They had weight limits on the Sabbath regarding how much you could pick up on the Sabbath. They had distance limits on the Sabbath, how far you could walk on the Sabbath. They had so complicated the Sabbath that they made it a burden. Now, again, let me make this very clear. The disciples haven't done anything unlawful. The disciples haven't done anything wrong. The disciples have not sinned. But the religious police thought they had, and so they're upset. They're upset with Jesus, and they're upset with his disciples. Let's keep reading. Jesus answered, You never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Now, this is like way cool interesting Jesus goes back in history and illustrates a time where they did break the law and ate the bread that only the priests could eat to illustrate that what he was doing today wasn't breaking the law. He said, you want to talk about breaking the law? Here's breaking the law. And yet God was okay with that because it met a human need. I mean, God didn't kill anybody. God didn't get rid of anybody. But Jesus illustrates a time where some of the followers of God did break the law to say... Why are y'all getting bent out of shape? Because we're picking in the grain fields. Interesting. Jesus uses an illustration of breaking the law to say, we didn't do anything wrong, and why are you getting bent out of shape? Keep reading. Then he said to them, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I don't know if these people knew that they're picking a fight with God. They're picking a fight with the guy who created the Sabbath. They're picking a fight with the guy who said, Look, I'm going to give you a Sabbath day because I want you to rest. I don't want you to work. They're picking a fight with the guy who defined the rules as to what the Sabbath was about. All we know is they got mad because Jesus was claiming to be God. And they didn't like it. 
Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you're Lord of the Sabbath? You're, you're the Lord? You're like the one? You're, so they got mad. They're smart enough to know Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus is saying, why are you making the Sabbath into a tradition? Why are you making the Sabbath so complicated? Why are you making being alive on the Sabbath so complicated? Jesus picks a fight. We keep reading. Another time, if you read Matthew and Luke, maybe same day, another Sabbath day, maybe same day Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. That's the religious police. I want you to notice that the religious police are going to the synagogue where you should be learning and should be praising God. And that's the last thing on their mind. They just want to look for a reason to catch Jesus. Those religious police are still alive today. They don't come to church to worship. They just come to church to see what we're doing wrong. They just come to church to look for a reason. The religious police are picking a fight with God here. Jesus encounters a man with a shriveled hand. Don't you reckon if you were one of Jesus' disciples? Don't you reckon if you were in charge of public relations for Jesus? Don't you reckon you might have said, Hey, Jesus, um... Listen, this one can wait till tomorrow. They knew this guy wasn't going to die. They knew the religious police were watching. They knew that, that, they really, that Jesus really didn't have to heal this guy with a shriveled hand on this day. Don't you think they're seeing Jesus? Can we just wait till tomorrow? Get, get, listen, don't, don't stir things up. You know the religious police are out to get you. You know the religious police are out to get us. You don't have to pick a fight here on the Sabbath. And Jesus picks a fight. He says... To the man with the shriveled hand, stand up, the Bible says, in front of everyone. Stand up in front of everybody here today. Stand up in front of everybody at the synagogue. Stand up in front of the religious police. I want everybody to see what I'm about to do. Jesus, can't this just wait one day? I mean, really, you have to pick a fight on the Sabbath? I mean, what's the big deal here, Jesus? I mean, so they're a little upset. Let's not stir the crowd anymore. And Jesus says, look, I want you to be front and center. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful? Don't you love Jesus' questions? When Jesus asks a question, your best response is to say nothing. Remember in chapter 2, when they're upset about the paralytic, and he said, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and walk? Well, the best answer is, yeah, I hate it when Jesus asks questions. You can't win. So Jesus said, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus wants to know, what do you folks think the purpose of the Sabbath is? Is it to do good or to do evil? Is it to save a life or is it to kill? They remained silent, which was the best answer they could have. No answer. Jesus said, I'm just trying to understand here. The guy who created the Sabbath is asking the people, I just want to clear something up here. What's the purpose of the Sabbath? Interesting. Jesus wants to know, again, God said, don't work and rest. And Jesus wants to know, hey, what do you guys think the purpose of the Sabbath is? So since they don't say anything, we get Jesus' response. He looked at them in anger. He's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. I like some other translations. He was deeply disturbed by their indifference to human need. That's why Jesus is picking a fight. He was furious at their hard-nosed religion. You want to know why Jesus is mad? He's mad because they're abusing the Sabbath. 
He's mad because they don't understand the Sabbath. He's mad because they've made the Sabbath into a burden. He's mad because they don't even care about the guy with a shriveled hand. He's mad because they're more interested in their rules, their petty rules, their regulations, their traditions than they are about people. You want to get Jesus upset? Start talking rules and regulations that God has not made and bind those on people. And Jesus will get hot. Jesus will get mad. Jesus picked a fight because their ritual was more important than people. And he said, look, I'm picking this fight on the Sabbath for a reason. They were more concerned with doing right than they were concerned with people. So Jesus puts this guy front and center, and he heals him on the Sabbath. He picks a fight to prove his point. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, Jewish tradition went into great detail. The Sabbath day had become, notice what he says, a crushing burden, a symbol of the galling religious bondage that had captured the nation. That's why Jesus is ticked. That's why he's hot. That's why he's deeply distressed. That's why he grabs their stubborn hearts. You'd think the religious police would say, okay, fine. You'd think the religious police would say, oh, we get it now. You'd think the religious police would leave him alone. But the next verse says, then the Pharisees went out and begin to plot with the Herodians, we need to kill this guy. Not because he broke God's law, he broke their law. He broke traditions. He broke their rules. He broke their regulations. Now this is interesting, because the Herodians and the Pharisees hated each other. They were polar opposites. The Herodians were not strict Jews, and they got along with the Romans, and the Pharisees were strict Jews. They didn't get along, but they get along now because they've got a common enemy. Hey, you want to get rid of Jesus? Yeah, sure, let's get rid of Jesus. And they joined forces to get rid of Jesus. We're just in Mark 3, and we're ready to kill Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The Herodians and... The Pharisees. You want to know why the Pharisees were mad? Because Jesus said, you know what? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. They're mad because of chapter 2 when he claimed to be God. They're mad because he's claiming to be God. I mean, think about it. Somebody comes in here today and says, hey, I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm the God. I'm God. Wouldn't that get your attention? It got their attention. And they're mad because Jesus is claiming to be God. And they're mad because Jesus is not doing what they want Jesus to do. What they think the Messiah should be doing. Okay, so you are the Messiah? Well, you're not doing it the right way. They're mad because Jesus is breaking their traditions, their rules, their regulations. You want to know why Jesus is mad? Because they've so complicated following God that nobody can follow God. The religious police can't even follow God. They can't even get it right. And Jesus is upset. And so Jesus picks a fight. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about the religious... Police. Because that's the gist of this passage, is the religious police. You know what? You read through the Gospels, and you won't find Jesus upset with sinners, tax tax collectors, prostitutes, any of those folks. You find Jesus getting hot and angry with religious people, with the religious police. The gist of this passage is the religious people, the religious police, are upset and making it difficult for people who are turning to God. And Jesus is upset. Let me say this about tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition 
Traditions are neither right nor wrong. Traditions are neutral. Traditions are, this is just how we do things. And yet, when we don't do things the way some people want, they get bent out of shape. Let me illustrate. How many of you grew up in a church that had a couple songs in a prayer and a couple songs in the Lord's Supper and a song, a scripture, a sermon, a couple songs, announcements in a prayer? Oh, wait. We are that church. Have you ever been in a church where they tried to change the order of worship and the religious police say, whoa, 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 you can't do that as if it's unlawful because you broke something that they said you can't break. Have you ever been in a church where they moved to Lord's Supper after the sermon? We did that here. It's one of those moving days where Richie decides to move the the order of worship and you move Richie out. I'm not joking. The religious police get upset over things that God says nothing about. For being a people who speak where the Bible speaks and are silent where the Bible's silent, which is nowhere in the Bible, it's just a restoration motto, we sure speak a lot where the Bible doesn't speak. And the religious police spoke a lot where God didn't speak. I've seen people get bent out of shape over such changes. And then we have all the rules about the Lord's Supper. You know the rules of the Lord's Supper? Jesus said, remember me. That's pretty much it. Remember me. As often as you do this, remember me. What are we supposed to do at the Lord's Supper? We're supposed to remember Jesus. The religious police said, you know, that's, that's not... We need some more parameters. So how many of y'all grew up in a church where the parameters of the Lord's Supper, where you can't talk, you can't get up, you can't walk out, you can't dim the lights, you can't show a video, you can't sing a song, you can't do anything but do the Lord's Supper? You ever grow up in church like that? Start doing some of those things and the religious police get a little upset. You know, when we start equating tradition as God's law, Jesus is going to get a little upset. Because when we start binding things that God doesn't say on people, Jesus gets mad. Let me give you some more examples. The Bible says don't commit adultery. Jesus says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, then you've committed adultery. The religious police say, yeah, that's not good enough. We've got to define that a little bit more. Any of y'all grow up in churches where dancing, a no dancing church? Yeah, you can't go to a dance. Got some no dancing church people here. You know why we couldn't have dances? Well, if, lust, if you lust after a woman in your heart, dancing, have you ever heard this? Dancing stimulates the lust of the flesh. Now, Don't get me wrong, I'm not making a case to dance or not dance. I'm illustrating how religious police will broaden parameters that God never had and build fences where God never built and get specific. You know, the Bible says that your body's the temple of God. Jesus says we should honor God with our bodies. The religious police say, no, no, we've got to be more specific than that. So we're going to tell you all the things that do honor your body and all the things that don't honor your body. Did you grow up in a no-smoking church? Hmm. Because that's what that verse says, don't smoke. I'm not making a case for smoking, not smoking. I'm saying religious police come along and say, whoa, whoa, we've got to speak where God doesn't speak because we've got to have some parameters. I grew up hearing the five sermons on the five major sins, no smoking, drinking, cussing, dancing, mixed swimming. I'm glad y'all are laughing. 
I grew up in western Oklahoma where there were churches where you couldn't play cards at church. Man, our domino folks would be in trouble. I knew of churches where you could, who would say you can't have a piano in your home, and if you have a piano in your home, you sure better not play religious music on that piano. You can play all the secular music you want, but don't you put a hymnal in front of there and play that piano. The religious police. The religious police would come along. I knew of churches that would say, um, you know what, none of the girls could be cheerleaders. No cheerleaders out of this church because Christian young women can't be cheerleaders. Religious police define those things because that's what the Bible says, right? I grew up in a church where you couldn't have donuts at the church building. You could eat donuts all the way up to the door of the church building, but you couldn't eat donuts in the church building because the religious police... I can remember the first time here I said, hey, let's stand and greet everyone around us. And the religious police got upset because that broke their tradition. We're not doing that anymore. If you keep doing that, we're not giving money anymore. And they ran to the elders because that's what religious police do. They go to the elders and say, we don't like this. We can't find a verse for this, but we don't like it. So we're going to set up parameters. You keep doing this. We're not going to give our money to the church because that's what religious police do. I had a former college student that was going to med school in Oklahoma City and he was leading singing at a pretty large church and he was instructed by the religious police that if there's a baptism, when you see that head coming up out of the water, you start leading that next song because we don't want any clapping. Somebody just got saved and we're worried about clapping. Somebody just got right with God and the religious people said, no, 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 don't you dare clap because that's what religious police do. And that's what ticks Jesus off. It's when we say, well, the Bible says... Listen, if you say the Bible says whatever you fill in the blank with after that, the Bible sure better say that. Or Jesus is going to get a little upset with you. Y'all got a little tense when I didn't expect for you to. The religious police will say, I don't like the songs we sing. I don't like the way we do the Lord's Supper. I don't like the speakers at the Lord's Supper. I don't like worship. First, I don't like the time of worship. I don't like gyms, buildings, buses. You don't have to like it. Just don't bind what you don't like on other people. You see, the religious police were saying, I don't like this, so we're going to make it into a law so that nobody can do it. You know what? If you don't like it, it's okay. But don't bind what you don't like on other people as if it was the law of God. Well, the Bible says, you know how many discussions I've been in where people say the Bible says, I'll stop and say, show me, show me. Well, it's in there somewhere. No, show me. Again, don't you think if there was something wrong with picking grain, Jesus would have said, don't do it. Don't you think if there's something wrong with healing the man with the shriveled hand, Jesus wouldn't have done it. The son of God wouldn't have done it. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus didn't do anything sinful. Jesus didn't break any of God's laws. Jesus broke their petty rules and regulations and traditions. And they didn't like it. Richie, you're just telling people they can go out and do whatever they want. Because that's what religious people hear me to say. So just to clarify what religious people thought they heard me to say. And just to clarify what religious people might put words in my mouth just for the sake of argument, I'm not going to quote you rules and regulations. I'll quote you Scripture, which says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I don't need rules and regulations. I just need the grace of God. 
Because the grace of God teaches me how to live. So let's not make up rules and regulations and traditions because we like or don't like something. Jesus picked a fight on this day because they're making it hard for people to follow God because of rules and regulations and petty things like that. Listen, legalism runs people off. Those petty rules and regulations... Look around at people that you know used to be in church here and they're not anymore. Go ask them why they're not in church anymore. Because I do. You know what they say? We got tired of all those unwritten rules. We got tired of all those binding traditions. We got tired of all the politics. They didn't get tired of anything that was in the Bible. They got tired of the religious police saying, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this. I'm not making fun of our tradition. I'm just saying the religious people are always going to be there. Listen, folks, when following Jesus becomes a burden to you, I venture to say you're not following Jesus. Our scripture reading today, because Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. If you come to me, I'll take your burden. If you come to me, it'll be a blessing. If following Jesus has become a burden to you, you're not following Jesus. You're following some rules and some regulations and some traditions that make you feel good. has nothing to do with following Jesus. The DVD series we just did in our small small groups, Follow Me, it's real simple. Jesus said, follow me. Just follow me. He didn't get real descriptive. He didn't have a bunch of rules and regulations. He just said, follow me. I think it's pretty understandable what it means to follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. Where are you going? I don't know. We're just going to follow And when we make it more, you know, the whole gist of Acts 15, let's not make it difficult for people who are entering the kingdom. If we're making it difficult because of rules and regulations and traditions, Jesus is a little hot and angry. To Jesus, the most important thing was people. Sabbath or no Sabbath. To the religious police, the most important thing was rules and regulations and traditions. Sabbath or no Sabbath. They would rather protect their traditions than see a man get healed. I would rather protect our church from clapping than to rejoice over somebody being baptized. The religious police would say. So I'd love to have a church atmosphere where all the fences are down and where all the burdens can be dropped at the door, where the rules and regulations are not law, where traditions can sometimes be broken, where the order of worship can be changed, where we have freedom in Christ, where we have freedom to praise, where following Jesus is no longer a burden, where following Jesus is not about being under the microscope. I'm not preaching tolerance. I'm preaching Bible. I'm preaching where following Jesus is a joy. And I'm just guessing, based on your reaction and your nodding today, you agree with me. I would love to have freedom in Christ. Listen, church, I'm I'm not looking for a fight. But if you want to fight, I'll fight where Jesus fights. Let's stop imposing our rules and regulations on others. Let's stop imposing our traditions on others. Let's stop putting up fences where the Bible doesn't speak. Let's stop making it difficult for people who are turning to God. Let me say this. I think sometimes we've turned baptism into a burden 
I think sometimes we've turned baptism into something that's legalistic. I think the religious police have so infiltrated our thinking on baptism that that may be why people put up a fight about baptism. Baptism was never meant to be a rule or a regulation. It was never meant to be a burden. God created... You can pick any one of God's laws, any one of God's laws. And He created those to be a blessing. And He created baptism to be a blessing, something that's beautiful, something that we should celebrate, something about coming to God and and your life changing, something about the Holy Spirit coming into your life, being born into the family. That's something we should celebrate and rejoice. It's a blessing. And the religious police come along and they say, you know what, it's all about you coming forward and you obeying and you doing what's right and you making sure... I've been involved in way too many discussions about baptism where if the head doesn't go under, if the hand doesn't go under, we've got to do it over because we didn't do it right. We make it about us. You do everything right. You understand everything right. You did everything right. And baptism was never meant to be a right, something you do right. Baptism is about... A marker celebrating that you're right with God. Okay, let me wind down. What if I told you that the greatest fight in history is the one that you and I have with Jesus every day? Because we don't want Him to be in charge. We want to be in charge. We don't want to follow His rules. We want to follow our rules. That's why I like the wording when Saul of Tarsus comes to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Another translation, you're only hurting yourself by fighting me. Maybe the greatest fight in history is the one that we have every day with Jesus. Because we don't want to follow Jesus. We don't want to obey Jesus. The good news that Mark wants us to know here is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, not Lord over the Sabbath. Jesus created the Sabbath not just as a one-day rest. If you read the Hebrew writer, Jesus created a Sabbath rest for eternity. Jesus wants the Sabbath to be a blessing. Jesus doesn't want it to be a burden. And so today I'm sure there are some who, I don't know, I'm just guessing, you need a rest. You're tired. Tired of work issues. Tired of family issues. Tired of relationship issues. Tired of health issues. And Jesus says, you need a rest? Let me be that rest. I don't know, I'm just thinking maybe there's some here today that need a rest because of religion. Because of the religious police. I mean, you feel like, just like Jesus, you're always under the microscope. Somebody's always watching. Somebody's always looking out. Somebody's always going to gripe. Somebody's always going to complain. And you feel like, you know what? Life is hard enough on its own. I just, I just need a rest. We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ today. And here's His invitation. Not ours, not our church. Jesus says, you need a rest? Come to me. I'll give you a rest. You need a rest today? You need a rest from life. You need a rest from religion. You need a rest from the guilt, the burden. You need a rest from the past. You need a rest for whatever reason. Maybe you just want to come forward and say, you know what, I, I just need a rest. I'm tired. Our shepherds will be in the back if you want to go with them and pray in private. If you need to respond to the invitation today, please do so as we stand and sing.